You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host, New York City, Ankit Panda. And Prashant Parmaswaran from Washington, D.C. How are you today, Prashant? Good to be back with good. you. Good. How are you doing? Good, good. And um, we are, I guess, here today to talk about uh, recent developments in um, ASEAN's uh, diplomatic relations with um, regional powers and, uh, and within the grouping itself. Um, and the context here is the recent meeting of the ASEAN defense ministers, the ADMM, and the associated ADMM plus meetings, which bring together the 10 defense ministers from ASEAN along with um, other countries, including the United States. Uh, U.S. Uh, defense Secretary Jim Mattis was recently in the region. And, uh, you know, we've done a few episodes this year talking about um, the range of security issues that ASEAN's been contending with, everything from the South China Sea and certainly the specter of terrorism that made itself known um, or renowned uh, in the region uh, with the siege of Marawi in, uh, in late May, um, which uh, has recently um, been uh, wound down. But uh, certainly there's a, a lot to talk about here. Um, so do you want to just give us a quick rundown over uh, the big takeaways this year from the ADMM and ADMM Plus meetings? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the big one that that listeners will be interested in is the fact that, um, you know, after being talked about for a while, the, the ADMM Plus meetings, unlike ADMM, is usually held once every two years. Um, but the big takeaway from, from these set of meetings was the final annualization of the ADMM Plus. So this, starting next year, when Singapore is going to be chairing ASEAN and holding these defense meetings, will also have the ADMM Plus. So that's kind of a big uh, advancement for the grouping. Uh, you know, there's a number of things that have been moved forward on on the ASEAN front uh, that have been, you know, long in the making. Um, there's a hotline that was proposed between the ASEAN defense ministers by Brunei back in 2013. That was, you know, finally officially announced and introduced. Um, but I think really, you know, a lot of this, um, just to give a, a more broader framing, it was around the issue of, of terrorism and Marawi, as you said at the outset, Ankit. So, you know, when the ADMM was held, um, there was a breakfast meeting on terrorism and the Islamic State. There was a declaration that was issued by the ASEAN defense ministers um, before the ADMM plus meetings. Um, And I think, you know, listeners will also be interested in, you know, a lot of the other regional and global issues that were discussed at the ADMM plus. And I think two of the ones that will be of particular interest is one on North Korea, which Mm -hmm. everyone is interested to hear what Mattis was going to say because, you know, Trump, as we discussed in a previous episode, is going to be going to, to Asia. Um, and so that that was one big issue. And the other one was um, the South China Sea and maritime security. I mean, here, no big takeaways necessarily from the ADMM and ADMM Plus. But, you know, a lot of the big things, as you and I heard of the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore, is going to be during Singapore's chairmanship, right? They're, they're going to announce things like you know, an agreement on air-to-air encounters. There's going to be an ASEAN-China maritime exercise. So Singapore's chairmanship looking ahead is going to be a really interesting development looking forward. Mm-hmm. So 2018 is really the big year to look forward to then when it comes to um, defense cooperation among the ADMM plus uh, countries. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I, I would definitely say that. I, I think the other thing that would be interesting from that perspective is, um, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty now about the Trump administration that's coming into office. So a lot of the U.S. security initiatives, even though there's a lot of continuity, there hasn't really been built out in terms of a broad security vision that the U.S. has for the region. And I suspect that, you know, we discussed this earlier too, Xi Jinping coming out of the party Congress um, and China, 
looks to be a lot more uh, sort of in a more confident mood to roll out a lot more economic but also security initiatives for Southeast Asia. So next year is going to be interesting to watch. And the Singaporeans you know, have had a little bit of trouble in their relationship with China and managing uh, the U.S.-China relationships. So their chairmanship will be very interesting to look at. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when it comes to uh, North Korea, which I think you, you know, you correctly pointed out that that's obviously the, the top button item right now in, in all of Asia Pacific security, and especially as Trump goes to Asia. Um, you know, um, even looking outside the ADMM, just looking at ASEAN countries uh, as a basket, you know, we talked a bit about this when the foreign ministers met with uh, Rex Tillerson here in Washington earlier this year. But, uh, you know, uh, how, how do you appraise ASEAN's uh, role on the North Korean issue? Obviously, um, on the ARF earlier, um, the the grouping stood strong that North Korea should not be isolated, that it should still be allowed to participate. It's one of the few forums where North Korea's foreign minister outside of the United Nations participates in an event uh, with uh, representatives from the U.S. government um, at that uh, at that high of a level. Uh, so, uh, you know, what's your uh, what's your general assessment of how um, ASEAN has been doing on the North Korean issue? Yeah. So the ASEAN, you know, we, we've talked about this before. I mean, it, because it's a consensus-based organization, in terms of the region-wide consensus, it tends to be sort of the lowest common denominator. So on North Korea, you usually get the, the, the usual run of statements saying that, you know, it's a major threat to international security. We hope these provocations stop. But in terms of the actual individual Southeast Asian states, it really has been quite varied. I think on the one hand, they have recognize the fact that the United States and the Trump administration want to crack down on the North Koreans and the North Korean behavior is quite worrying. And so there has been a crackdown on, on links. A good example is Malaysia that's really been reviewing its relationship with North Korea and restricting some of those links. But on the other hand, a lot of these links are, are very hard to, to cut off, uh, particularly in a short amount of time. And these countries are also concerned that you know, they don't want to exacerbate things with North Korea, given how <laughs> unpredictable the regime is as well. So uh, I think there's a there's more of a mixed record uh, than, than some of the rhetoric suggests. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you follow North Korea very closely and, and, and the region more broadly. I mean, what do you think and what's your sense about not just where Southeast Asia is, but also I mean, where the U.S. is, too, because mm -hmm. when Trump goes to the region, that's going to be a big issue as well, right? Yeah, actually, you know, let me talk a bit about ASEAN, because um, I guess part of the reason I asked you that question is just because I was genuinely interested, um, because I'm actually working on a, a research paper right now looking at regional state responses in, in 2017 to the North Korean issue. Uh, this is for IISS, um, hopefully to be uh, released next year at the uh, Shangri-La Dialogue again. Um, but part of that has been, uh, it's actually been really interesting to kind of see how the 10 ASEAN countries um, really have have diverged on this issue. I mean, Indonesia, for example, I think is a really interesting case. You know, uh, a largest country in ASEAN, often often seen as the primus inter pares, the first among equals uh, in the grouping, uh, if anything. But Indonesia has maintained somewhat its its uh, principled opposition, uh, which is an older policy, you know, going back to the um, SBY administration uh, before Jokowi even, just a principled opposition to the idea that North Korea should be isolated. Um, and it's been advocating for that, obviously, with the ARF. Indonesia was part of it, but also Vietnam. Um, and, you know, both countries have taken some limited action. Um, North Korean restaurants, I believe, have been shut down in both countries. Um, and it's been interesting to watch um, the the more, you know, uh, forward-leaning action on uh, North Korea. As you correctly noted, Malaysia is obviously a big one. We've talked a bit about the Malaysian reaction before on the podcast. Uh, obviously, in February this year, we saw um, nerve agents used at Kuala Lumpur International Airport to assassinate uh, Kim Jong-un's uh, half-brother Kim Jong-nam, which was a, um, a major crisis, resulted in a short um, 
sort of hostage crisis where Malaysian citizens weren't allowed to even travel out of North Korea until the North Koreans uh, received what they demanded. But um, Cambodia is another one that I think is an interesting case of, uh, you know, uh, fairly close ties to the North Korean regime. Um, and uh, there are a few interesting economic projects, actually. There's the the uh, Angkor Panorama Museum that North Korea actually constructed for Cambodia that's an important source of revenue. Um, and uh-huh. I believe there's a long contract for that that North Korea is actually going to be extracting quite a bit of revenue from that project for a while. Um, and finally, I guess uh, another case that I think is really fascinating is Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar, uh, uh, you know, under the junta, obviously had very close military-to-military ties with North Korea. Um, and there were um, years of arms arms exports. Uh, for example, Myanmar's um, Ongzea-class frigate um, actually uses North Korean uh, Kumsong-3 KH-35 um, ship-launched cruise missiles. Um, and uh, it's been interesting, actually, that the, uh, the civilian uh, government under the NLD has been... Um, receptive to uh, U.S. pressure on on its relationship with North Korea and has uh, and has uh, demonstrated that it is willing to tamper that down, which is which I think is interesting, especially now, given the increased scrutiny of the of the Burmese government uh, from the United States as well. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, this is just a, it, it, it's just fascinating to look at these ASEAN countries, which often don't really figure in how we think about North Korea's um, broader relationship. But ASEAN, if you take the bloc as a whole and you look at its economic interactions with with uh, North Korea, depending on the year you look at data from, it actually ranks second after China uh, in terms of um, its uh, trading relationship with North Korea, both uh, significant imports and exports. And yep. um, obviously, if you look at ind- individual countries, it um, it drops further down. But uh, countries like Thailand, for example, have pretty significant um, economic ties with uh, with North Korea as well. So, you know, I don't think that the United States is really wasting its time by pressuring ASEAN on this. But, you know, as we've talked about before, it's just that... Um, it can generate a bit of resentment uh, among ASEAN countries uh, being uh, sort of condescended to and told what to do on their relationship with North Korea, especially when many of them prize their independence um, and uh, are, are principled about the idea of North Korea not being isolated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the other interesting thing about um, the links between North Korea and Southeast Asian states is, you know, as, as similar dynamic as we see with China, I mean, these, these corporations and individuals and links are are quite shadowy and they're often funneled through third parties or third countries, right? Like a good example of that um, is the fact that, for example, some of the financing um, that goes to North Korea, some of it is directed through Singapore, right? Um, And it's a similar case that we see with Myanmar uh, as well. So a lot of these things are are a lot more complicated than we, and the other uh, case that's, um, you know, important is, is Malaysia as well. I mean, the Malaysian government's been talking about severing economic links with North Korea. But if you look at the trade data carefully, I mean, there's a big difference between exports and mm-hmm. imports, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, this is definitely something fascinating to look at country by country, because I think you can you can really get a granular sense of where the relationship's at. Yeah, yeah. So it's been um, it's been pretty illuminating to um, work on this project, actually. And I expect there's a lot more that I, I have to dig into here. On, yeah. um, on ASEAN relationships with North Korea. Um, but I did want to uh, dig in a bit more, uh, Prashant, into the issue of um, mm-hmm. terrorism, which is obviously something that uh, is at the top of the agenda uh, for many of the ASEAN states, um, certainly um, Indonesia, the Philippines, and Malaysia, which have uh, started you know, trilateral patrols, uh, coordinated patrols 
uh, in the Sulu Sulawesi Seas um, with uh, both uh, terrorism and piracy on their minds. Um, what, uh, you know, where do you see kind of, um, well, I guess, let me rephrase this. Um, so are we at a phase where, you know, ASEAN countries are sitting down and effectively reflecting on the lessons that they've learned from the the Marawi um, siege this year, uh, which obviously involved foreign fighters, uh, really seemed to come out of nowhere. You know, early on, there were some intelligence gaps and um, I guess misapplied intelligence, um, at least in the Philippines. Uh, so uh, so where, where are um, ASEAN states now, uh, especially those three when it comes to the issue of terrorism in that area? Yeah, so, um, you know, you're, you're right to frame it in terms of, you know, there's there's sort of the, the regional response um, in terms of how these states look at the terrorism threat, but then there's also a lot of activity on the sub-regional front. So the, the trilateral patrols in the Sulu Sulu OSCCs is, is, is the prime example. So between Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, and Malaysia, uh, that, you know, we, we discussed this before as well, um, and it was discussed at the Shangri-La Dialogue last year. I mean, it's been moving slow, more, much more slower um, than I think the states initially wanted, which is no surprise. I think there are a lot of challenges to that. But I think, you know, the fact that this has become really a hub for activity such that it's attracted major powers, including the U.S., China, and others, um, is testament to the fact that, you know, mm -hmm. this is an increasing hub of activity. I think the other thing that uh, the Marawi crisis has exposed is, is really how vulnerable uh, the Philippines is as an actor and how other states really need to step up to the plate and to assist the Filipinos because their capacity is so limited, right? I mean, the Philippine military... There have been attempts to modernize it, but it remains one of the weakest militaries in the region, and they lack basic training, equipment, surveillance capabilities, and also the broader thing, which I think these regional actors are thinking about, and I think others, including the U.S., is, I mean, how do we deal with uh, terrorism and, you know, the, the New York attacks, another good example, right? How do we deal with terrorism in an urban warfare context where, you have these incidents of copycats, and, and it's very easy for individuals to actually use even their own vehicles and themselves and knives rather than guns or heavy ammunition to, to carry out these attacks. I mean, and essentially it comes down to, I mean, where do you stand as a government in terms of how you're trying to crack down? You can respond, but I think where some governments are like the Singaporeans is, I mean, we have to stop this even when it comes to the ideology, even before these folks get their message out. Right. And I think that then gets into issues of, you know, how much do you want to restrict free speech and things like that? And I think, you know, the big takeaway that that terrorist experts always talk about is, you know, you can't really stop terrorism entirely because there's the enabling environment. And you really have to manage your resilience as a society. But I think, you know, the, the region is also battling with how much they can take that long term approach, but also marry that with short term measures that are really urgently needed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a. Uh... Uh, there's a much deeper, complex conversation to be had here that I don't think we have time for in this episode about um, just how um, radicalization is being managed by various governments. We've had a good conversation about this on this podcast about Indonesia um, mm -hmm. recently yeah. and uh, and groups there um, that have been um, managing the threat domestically. But certainly, uh, you know, it's as pernicious a challenge for ASEAN as it is for Western countries. Um, and certainly with uh, many of these cities, the... Uh, that are, uh, you know, highly populated, very dense, very uh, chaotic. Often the ratio of, you know, per capita policemen is um, is quite low um, and just means mm -hmm. that the the law enforcement, the response times uh, tend to be tend to be um, tend to leave something um, to uh, 
to be desired. Um, so in general, you know, I think there is a a lot of room here for ASEAN to really uh, do a lot of work. And I hope that process of kind of, you know, reflecting on Marawi and uh, learning from what were, uh, went wrong um, really gets underway. And I think, uh, you know, an, an institution like the ADMM is particularly well positioned to uh, facilitate some of that exchange. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right, Prashant. I think we'll uh, we'll uh, clip this one here today, and um, you know we have a lot to look forward to with uh, Trump's trip to Asia. So uh, why don't we plan on doing something on that? Uh, there'll be lots to review, certainly on the North Korean issue. I know I didn't get into what the U.S. is doing on North Korea, but I have a feeling that we're about to uh, get some valuable data on that when uh, Trump is in Japan, South Korea, and China, especially. So uh, thanks a lot for joining me today. Yep, good to be with you. All right. And uh, if you like what you heard on the podcast, do make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And if you have subscribed, but you haven't left us a review, please do so. It really helps get the word out about the show. And we'll be back soon with more. Thanks a lot for listening.